Well, in Genesis 25, we're going to pick up in verse 19. Um, uh, you know, part of my job is just to whet the appetite. So I'm not going to give you all the stuff. There's good stuff in those genealogies. Abraham's going to get married after Sarah passes on. He's going to have other kids, and God's going to move. He's going to die in faithfulness just like Sarah and be buried with Sarah. And then you get the lineage of Ishmael, and there's some good stuff there. But you're going to have to dig a little on your own, all right? So I'm not going to give it all to you. We're going to pick up in, in 19, and we're going to pick up with Isaac. And we've been anticipating Isaac for some time. We got a little glimpse of him in the selection of a wife in Rebecca. Um, but we've anticipated this, this, this child. Certainly Abraham and Sarah have anticipated him. And boy, he's supernaturally born, 90-year-old mother, 100-year-old father. And, and, and the circumstances surrounding the, 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 the Rebecca and bringing her to unite with him. You look at this guy and you just anticipate all that God is going to do through this guy. You're just thinking, man, no telling what God's going to do. And you kind of get to him and it's a little bit anticlimactic, isn't it? You, you come to Isaac and you don't get a whole lot. You really only one chapter that's fully dedicated to the life of Isaac, which is next week in chapter 26. And and you look at this man that we've waited for and Abraham and Sarah have waited for and they've prayed for the child of promise and not only is it anticlimactic, but it's a little bit disappointing because what you learn in Isaac is here's another man that's, that's flawed. And in all these great heroes of the faith, don't you love the word of God? It doesn't just tell you all the good things. It gives you all the people of God with all their warts and all their, their flaws and all their failures. Because really the story of the Bible is a story of one hero. And who is that? It's God and his son, Jesus Christ. Story of your life, there's only one hero in there. It's not you. And so what we're seeing continually is if, if, if God is going to fulfill his promises and his purposes, it's not going to be because these guys are just so good. It's going to be because he's so gracious and he's so powerful and he uses flawed people. But what I want us to see this morning is we pick up the story with Isaac. And we're going to see Isaac with, with Esau and Jacob but all three of these men are, are, are going to have one major issue, and it's that they're going to struggle with, with following their flesh instead of the Word of God. It's really what we see in all three of these individuals this morning. And really the greatest example, probably the most prominent example, is Esau, who's going to trade his birthright for a bowl of soup. But all three of these men are going to struggle with following the flesh rather than the Word of God and is that not an issue for every one of us every day? And so we're going to be warned on the basis of these men this morning. Let's pray again. We'll work our way through this text. God, please bless the study of your word. We need you this morning. Holy Spirit, we declare our dependence upon you. God, that you would take this word that's living and active and you'd use it to impact our lives and to shape us and mold us, to shake us and challenge us as we seek to be faithful to you. And God, I pray if there's anybody here this morning that's walked into this room, watching online, and maybe watching at Reach Church DeSoto or Fellowship Olathe or down the hall in the venue, they're watching this morning, they don't know you. God, I pray this morning you would move in their heart to show them the depth of their sin and the beauty of their Savior, Jesus. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, pick up with me. In verse 19, it says there, Now these are the records of the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean, of Paddan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. And the Lord answered him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived 
But the children struggled together within her, and she said, If it's so, why then am I this way? So she went to inquire of the Lord. So here we see Isaac and Rebekah are going to face their own test of faith. All of us face tests of faith in much in the same way that Abraham and Sarah were tested. So will Isaac and Rebekah in this issue of barrenness. And I'm sure as the circumstances come about, I wonder if Isaac wasn't thinking to himself, oh, here we go again. And I'm sure that Isaac was probably hoping he's not going to have to wait until he's 100 to have a kid. But what does, Abraham, or what does Isaac do in this circumstance? In fact, he responds quite well. He goes to the Lord. He prays on behalf of his wife, and she conceives. And you read this, and you think sometimes these events happen very quickly. But take note as you read this, you find out that he waited and she waited 20 years. How painful must have been those 20 years as they waited patiently upon the Lord. And God teaches all of us patience. And he taught Isaac and Rebekah patience. But as God answered their prayer and they, they conceived and she became pregnant, now they got another issue. And isn't that the way it often works? We pray for an answer and sometimes God fulfills that answer and then we have another challenge. And here Isaac and Rebecca, they pray for a child and now she's pregnant and she's got another issue and she's in pain. And so she cries out to God and she says, God, if I'm so blessed, why is this so painful? You ever felt that way? God, if I'm blessed, if I'm your child, if I'm walking in the center of your will, why are these circumstances so painful? Why are they so tough? It's always a good reminder that the absence of pain or the presence of pain is not always a good indicator as to whether or not you're in the center of God's will. Because you can be right smack dab in the center of God's will and experiencing incredible pain. And some of you need to hear that this morning. Just because you're experiencing pain doesn't mean you're not right where God wants you to be. And so here is Rebecca, and she's praying, why am I in pain? And the Lord answers her. God responds. It says, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples will be separated from your body, and one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. God says, the reason why you're in such pain is because you got not just one child, but you got two in the womb, and they're already struggling. These boys are going to fight most of their life, just like any two brothers. Any of you got brothers? I got a brother. We fought a whole lot. I got two boys. They fight all the time. Well, these boys are fighting in the womb. They're getting an early start, and they're struggling. He says, the reason why you're in so much pain, you got these two boys, and they represent to nations, and then God makes a divine declaration. What does he say? He says, and the older will serve the younger. That in the outworking of God's divine plan, God has the right to choose. That's the way you can be when you're God. And we're seeing this played out in in the story of God and his work of salvation and the fulfillment of the promise, even with Ishmael and Isaac. What did God say? He passed over Ishmael and the promise is going to come through Isaac. And here with Jacob and Esau, God is going to pass over Esau and, and the promise is going to be fulfilled through Jacob. And even as, as Jacob will have those 12 sons and God will pass over Levi and Reuben and Simeon and who will he choose? He says the scepter will not depart from who? From Judah. And God has the right to choose. And here he will make a sovereign choice. And by the way, Esau has a choice to make too. So if you're saying, does this guy not believe in free will? Yes, I do. Esau's got a choice to make. And guess what? His 
choice is going to be in perfect keeping with God's choice. And you have the tension between the sovereignty of God and free will. But God makes a sovereign choice. God has sovereignly declared that I'm choosing Jacob. He's going to be the one through whom the promise will come. And what should this couple have done? How should they respond? Well, we'll talk about that in a moment, but let's see how they do respond. Look at verses 24 through 28. It says, when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. Now the first came forth red all over like a hairy garment, and they named him Esau. You know what Esau means? Hairy. They named him Harry. Isn't that so cute? Harry, little Harry. Afterwards, his brother came forth with his hand holding on to Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob, Jacob. And Isaac was 60 years old when she gave birth to them. When the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a peaceful man, living in tents. Now Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. So you got two very distinct children, don't you? That's the point of this. You see it at birth. There, one comes out red, and he's hairy. Like a hairy monster, here comes this boy. You know, as I was thinking about this, I don't know about you, but oftentimes when I see babies, they all look pretty much the same to me, all right? Maybe that's just me, but sometimes I'm like, put some blue or some pink so I know if it's a boy or a girl. We can't really tell. But these two boys, certainly from the get-go, you could tell them apart. You got this one red-headed, hairy monster of a boy come out. And then, then what do you got? You got Jacob, and his name means heel grabber. That's what he's doing. He's grabbing the heel. It's the word that, that it literally means heel grabber. It came to mean sneaky or deceiver. But that's what a heel grabber was. It was somebody who'd come up from behind you and grab your heel to try to surprise you. But here he is, even at birth, you've got distinctions to, the, to, to these two boys. Not only distinct in their birth, but they're distinct also in their personalities, aren't they? We get a picture of these two boys. Esau is a man's man. He's a hunter. He's a gatherer. I picture this guy as some athletic guy, you know, real strong. And, and, uh, and he's an impulsive guy. He's a bold guy. Kind of just goes with the flow. You probably always know where you stood with Esau. And you know, the more I studied this, the more I think I probably would have liked Esau. In, in all seriousness, I think if you'd have put Jacob and Esau in front of me, I said, I'm probably going to be friends with Esau more than I'm going to be friends with Jacob. Esau, just a man's man. In fact, the more I said, you know, I thought, here's just a good old red-blooded American man. Kind of a pull-yourself-up-by-the-bootstraps kind of guy, hard-working, impulsive hunter, a man's man. And then on the other side, what do you get? You get old Jacob. And Jacob likes to stay home and cook. He's domesticated. And uh, he wants to stay in the tents and cook. And You know, you see in this that God makes us certain ways, though, doesn't he? And this is a beautiful picture. You know, even as I thought that the proverb that tells us, raise up a child in the way they should go. Do you know what literally that proverb means? Raise them up according to their bent. That God has made your children, just like he's made mine, distinct, unique, with certain personalities and certain temperaments. And that's the way God made them. Just like he made you with a certain personality and temperament. He made me with a certain personality and temperament. And there's the things that I don't want to do. There's things I can't do. Have you ever, heard the, ever made the statement, it's just not in me? 
You know, the, I, I've tried so long to be one of those list people that checks the lists off and real organized and does all that. It's not in me. I'm just going to tell you. That's why I've got some good people around me, like Chris Taylor, who keeps the list for me and makes sure I do. But we, you know, God made us a certain way. And you think, where are you going with this? You know what we're going to see in Jacob and Esau? If they're going to change, who's going to have to do it? God. And it's the same with us. In order for there to be real change in our life, it's only going to happen supernaturally. We call it rebirth, right? New creation in Christ Jesus. It's a good reminder as you go share the gospel with somebody, unless the Holy Spirit of God works in their heart. I was reminded of this a couple weeks ago when I was sharing with a guy. I thought I could talk to this guy till I'm blue in the face, but unless God opens his eyes, the reality of his own sin, nothing's going to happen here. But it takes both. It takes us proclaiming the word and God moving. The gospel changes all of us. We know Christ and we've been changed just because of the gospel work in our heart. So the two different distinct personalities. And spiritually speaking, Jacob and Esau were also different, weren't they? Jacob, it says he was a peaceful man. That word peaceful, sometimes we translate as spiritual. There, there was a there was an inclination towards spiritual things in Jacob's life. Although he's going he's gonna to seek after them in less than honest ways, he's going to attain them in less than honest ways. But he has a desire for spiritual things. And Esau, on the other hand, we find this man to be a godless man. In fact, the author of Hebrews, um, in Hebrews 12, verses 14 through 17, gives commentary on this and says he was a godless, immoral man. And we see this in Esau's life. He has no inclination towards spiritual things. He's a God-fearer. He believes in God. He's just got no real interest in spiritual things or pursuing spiritual things. So two very distinct boys. And what should have Isaac done? What, what should have Isaac done? Knowing they're two distinct boys. But what does he know? God has declared what? It's going to be through Jacob. What should Isaac have done? He should have set his two boys down and said, Esau, we love you. Just like we do Jacob. And you're my son. But guess what? God has spoken and the promise is going to go through Jacob and not you. And God loves you and he's going to provide for you. But the promise is going to come through Jacob. But that's not what he does. What does he do? He says, it says in verse 28 that Isaac loved Esau. That word loved, most of the commentators agree, it's not just referring to some emotional love. What it's indicating here is that Isaac has already decided, I know what God said, but I'm going to give the birthright to Esau because I just like him more. I mean, it's an amazing statement when you think about it. Here is a man who's a child of promise, a child of God, and yet he's going to bow his neck to God and say, I'm going to do whatever I'm going to do. I know you've said that the birthright goes to Jacob, but I'm going to give it to Esau. And then you begin to think, why in the world would a man disobey God in such a blatant way? Why would a man bow his neck to God and disobey him in this kind of way? Well, the scripture tells us, it, gives, it leaves no doubt. It says in verse 28, because he had a taste for gain. Why in the world would, would Isaac disobey God in this kind of way? Because he liked what Esau cooked. What do they say is the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. But the bigger picture is that Isaac is going to disobey God because of his flesh. 
Does this still happen today? That men will, will, will disobey God out of a, a preference for the things of this world, that a father's flesh gets in the way of his obedience to the truth and he destroys his family? Does that still happen today? Because they have a taste for game. And it's intended really to be laughable. Why in the world would he do this? Well, look at the results. Look at the results of his choice. Verse 29 through 34. When Jacob had cooked stew, Esau came in from the field and he was famished. And Esau said to Jacob, please let me have a swallow of that red stuff there for I'm famished. Therefore, his name is called Edom. But Jacob said, first, sell me your birthright. He said, behold, I'm about to die. So of what use then is the birthright to me? And Jacob said, first, swear to me. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went on his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So Isaac has decided he's going to defy God. And on the basis of his defiance towards God, he's put his entire family in a bad spot. Now, this does not mean that Esau and Jacob are not culpable for their own actions. They are. They're responsible. But it's a good reminder to us as husbands as, and, and fathers, as leaders of the home, when we make bad choices in disobedience to God's word, we always put our family in a bad spot. Not only did he put his two boys in a bad spot, we're going to see in chapter 7, he put his wife in a bad spot. But on the base of his choices now, Jacob and Esau are going to make some bad choices. And first of all, you see very clearly here, Jacob is going to become a really good deceiver. And he deceives his brother in this circumstance. I, I think mama has probably told Jacob about the promise of God that the birthright's going to come to you. But Jacob says, I'm going to help God out. Does that sound familiar? Much like Abraham is dad, his, his grandfather. I'm going to help God out. I'm going to maneuver the circumstances for my favor. And so he set up a scenario where he could, he could bargain with his brothers. Most believe that this is not some accidental occurrence, that it just so happened that Esau went out hunting, and it just so happened that Jacob happened to be making a bowl of stew. No, most believe that Jacob was waiting for the moment when Esau would go out to hunt and knew that he'd come back hungry, and he decided to prepare a meal so that he could trap his brother. So his brother comes home and, and, and he sees that he's famished and he's going to manipulate the circumstances for his own good. And he is deliberate in his actions. He is cold-blooded. What should he have done? He should have just offered some stew to his brother. That would have been the kind thing to do. That would have been the godly thing to do to demonstrate hospitality. But he's going to manipulate the circumstance for his own good. And there's so much deception in this. In fact, that lentil stew, I thought this was an interesting fact, that, that lentils from the Middle East are actually, from that region of the world, are typically yellow lentils. What's the stew color? It's red. That's why they call them Edom. But a red stew would indicate what? It would indicate a meaty stew, or it would look like a meaty stew. But they tell us that lentils from Egypt are red. So what has Jacob done? He's tricked his brother in so many ways, but one of the ways is to create a meal that looks like a meaty stew, but just really a little frou-frou broth is all it is. And at the end of the day, it's going to leave Esau, what? Dissatisfied. Man, Jacob is a deceiver. This guy, he's a liar to his core. He's put in a bad situation because a daddy that made a bad choice. Not only does Jacob become a deceiver and he's going to rely upon his flesh to try to manipulate things to get the blessing, 
But Esau is going to despise the birthright. Esau falls right into Jacob's trap. He comes in. He's famished. He says, in fact, what's a, what's a birthright to me? I'm about to die. And, and a lot of commentators speculate as he's saying, you know, that I've got 70, 80 years to, die, to life and then I'm going to die. You know what I think he's saying? What do we say sometimes when we're really hungry? We say we're starving to death. I think that all Esau is saying is, I'm really hungry. He comes in from the field, says, give me a bowl of that red stuff right there. And even in the Hebrew, the, the commentators indicate that his coarseness, it's rude. It's crude in the way he says it. Just give me some of that red junk right there. I'm so hungry, I'm going to devour it down. And Jacob says, you can have it, but you got to give me your birthright. And he's going to manipulate the circumstances. Make him make an oath that I'll, that I'll give you the birthright. And you know what I think that Esau probably thought to himself is a trivial circumstance. I mean, I'm just a hungry guy who wants a bowl of soup. But this is a good reminder to us that oftentimes it's in the little trivial, mundane choices that we make and decisions that we make that really define our character. Amen. It's often not in the big things that determine our character. It's the little everyday trivial decisions or things that we think are trivial. But in reality, nothing is trivial with God, is it? But right here, Esau has a choice. He has a choice between the eternal and the temporal. He has a choice between the material and the spiritual. He has a choice between the present or the future, this world or the world to come. A moment of pleasure or an eternity of blessing. A cup of soup for his birthright. And I believe birthright in chapter 27, we're going to talk about the blessing. I think the two are interconnected. But the birthright and the blessing were a big deal within this culture. The oldest male got a double portion of the inheritance. But even beyond all those things, the material things of this, what do we know? That he's passing up the opportunity to be the child through whom the promise will come, the progenitor of the eventual Messiah. I mean, the, the great title is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you think it could have been Esau. He's passing this up. Why? For a bowl of soup. And it's shocking. And it should be shocking. It should cause us to, to scratch our head or want to pull our hair out and say, Esau, what in the world is wrong with you? Why in the world would you do this? And Moses, who writes Genesis, and the author of Hebrews, who comment, uh, gives us commentary on this, both of them don't want us to miss the reason why. The reason he made the trade, Genesis tells us and Hebrews tells us, is because he despised his birthright. Meaning spiritual things meant nothing to him. And so he forsakes all these great spiritual blessings and possibilities for a meal. Do you see this... this dysfunctional family what is driving this family is it the word of god is it the spirit of god no one thing is driving this family they're all looking out for themselves and their own flesh daddy just likes the boy and what he cooks so he's going to defy god Esau has no interest in spiritual things, so he passes the spiritual for temporal moments of happiness and joy. And Jacob's going to rely upon his flesh to, in order to attain something that God already promised he'd have by faith. And really, the decisions that they're facing right here in their life are the same decisions and opportunities that we're facing every day of our life. 
In every opportunity and every decision that comes your way, just like these men, you're going to have a choice between whether or not you're going to go with the word of God and the spirit of God or whether you're going to operate on the basis of your flesh. Is our life driven by the word of God and the spirit of God or is it driven by the flesh? If you're here this morning, you don't know Christ. Maybe you're up to this point, you've had no interest in spiritual things, just like Esau. Up to this point, you've take it or leave it. Yeah, I may believe in a higher being, but when it comes to spiritual matters, I got real no interest. My prayer for you this morning is that God would open your eyes to the depth of your sin and the need of Christ so that later on, like Esau, you wouldn't realize that this momentary, trivial decision that it seemed like today is really an eternal decision that's going to impact you tomorrow. But for those of us that do know Christ, that, that, that would say this morning, we're Christians, we're believers in God, we've been reborn by the Spirit of God, and if we've been reborn by the Spirit of God, we do have a new nature, don't we? We're a new creation in Christ Jesus. The things that used to be natural to us are not natural anymore. The things that we used to do, we don't want to do anymore. The things that we didn't want to do in previous times before we came to faith in Christ, it was unnatural to read our Bible prior to faith in Christ. It was unnatural to want to be a part of the church and what God was doing. But now through faith in Christ, those things have become natural. We're a new creation in Christ Jesus But what do we also know? Even though we're in Christ, even though we've been born again, we still contend with the flesh. And we have these residual desires and intuitions. We call it the flesh. And no matter how closely you walk with Christ, there are those live coals just beneath the surface. You you know what it is when you put out a campfire? And the campfire, it looks like it's completely out. But what do you know? If you dig a little deep, what, what can you see? You can see some live coals. And if you put just enough air on those live coals, what will happen? That fire will reignite. Listen to me this morning. All of us have a flesh, and we got some live coals just beneath the surface. And if we give just enough air to those live coals, guess what will happen? It will ignite our lives, and it will destroy us from the inside out. Just like it does with Esau. See, this text, it's, it's not just some ancient text dealing with, with this, this, this family. No, this text is here to warn all of us about forsaking the eternal for the temporal, forsaking the material for the spiritual. And we all struggle. That's why the Christian life is often referred to as a battle. Every day you have opportunities. It's the opportunity to tell a lie in order to get yourself out of trouble. It's a man or a woman who find themselves alone. It's a teenager who's offered a drug or a drink of beer. It's an opportunity to make money in a less than honest way. And oftentimes these little decisions, they they seem trivial. They don't seem that big, but they're pregnant with meaning that oftentimes can have repercussions throughout our life. We're in a battle, and I struggle too. I have a devil after me. I have a system that tells me I'm a fool. I have advertisements in my life that are trying to change my values, and I got a flesh that can betray me just like you in a moment. Listen, there's not one person in this room this morning that's so strong they give the right circumstances, wouldn't say no to the most precious things to them for a moment of pleasure. And we struggle. And it's, by the way, is sin fun? 
Oh, it is for a moment, isn't it? Yay, sin, we're having fun. But guess what? The sequel is to that movie. The wages of sin is what? Is death. You know, that's what's interesting about this. Esau, in this moment, he probably thought, this is no big deal. No real issue here. And later on, we're going to find out, he's going to seek for the birthright even with tears. Boy, he's going to have some deep regrets in his life, and I bet he could wishes he could go back to this moment. Boy, all of us. You have an enemy that's seeking to take you out. You have a flesh that's striving with the Spirit of God in you. And through faith in Christ, you have the ability to say no to sin. You don't have to travel down that path. That's the freedom that we have in Christ. He gives us the ability to say no to sin. The freedom from the bondage of sin and Satan. But we have to contend with that flesh every day. You know, um, it's right before lunch, so I hope I don't spoil your lunch right here. You know the Eskimos, you know how they'll um, get rid of a rogue wolf? A wolf that's maybe taking out some of their, their, their whatever they have, their herd. What they will do is they'll take a knife, they'll take a two-edged knife, and they will sharpen that knife until it's surgically sharp, dangerously sharp. And then they will go out and they will shoot a warm-blooded animal, and they will drain the blood of that animal. And then they will take that two-edged knife and they will dip it in the blood and then take it out in the cold and the blood will freeze to the knife. They'll take it back in, dip it back in the blood, take it back outside and let it freeze. Dip it back in the blood and they will repeat that process until there's this nice little coating of blood on that blade. And then they will take that knife and they will attach it to a vice and they will establish it in the ground so it can't be moved and they'll put it out at night and guess what happens? That wolf will come because he smells that blood and he'll sniff and then he'll begin to lick and eventually his tongue will go numb and then eventually he'll start tasting his own blood and he just keeps right on going and the next morning they go out and they find that wolf frozen and dead in a pool of his own blood Listen to me this morning. Some of you are licking the sin of immorality. Some of you, some of you are licking the sin of dishonesty. And I'm here to tell you this morning, you keep traveling down that path, it'll bring destruction. And the word of God here this morning is here to shake us to the core and awaken us to the reality that we're in a spiritual battle today. I truly believe that if God could peel back the blinders of our eyes and we would see the spiritual warfare that's occurring around us this morning, we would hit our knees in prayer, begging God to be merciful and protect us. But that is the reality. It's why every morning we better be on our knees in prayer What do you do really simply? You better stay in the word. You better stay close to God. You know how the sheep protect themselves? They just stay close to the shepherd. Boy, you better stay close to Jesus. That's why the scripture tells us to pray without ceasing. Because the battle never stops. Do you know what I've learned? 
Satan and my flesh, they don't really care how much scripture I've memorized. You know what I know? I can get off my knees. I can spend time in God's word and get off my knees and I can get right up. And guess what? I got a little voice. And right there's Satan. And I know if I let my guard down, he will take me out. You're in a battle for your life today. And I think far too often we as Christians are walking around like it's peacetime. It's not peacetime. One day the peace will come. One day we'll lay the weapons down. But until that day, we're in a battle. And we fight it not with physical means, but spiritual means. We fight it on our knees. Secondly, get around some Christians who are going to encourage you. And I say this because I know right now, in the midst of this whole COVID deal, I know that, that there's a group of people out there that you can return to church and you should return to church, but you're not because it's become easy and comfortable and you've gotten in some bad habits in your life. And listen, you isolate yourself and you get a whole lot easier for the enemy to pick off. Now, I don't know how you do it. You might have to get creative in how you do it, but you need Christian community around you. We were never intended to be isolated and alone. That's why the scripture says, don't forsake the assembling of the saints. And if you're looking for a place where you can go and be authentic and be real and be loved, we got a group called Celebrate Recovery, and they're an awesome group, and they encourage one another, and they challenge one another, and you need to contact Brian Rothrock because he will get you connected. They meet on Saturday nights, and they have small group meetings, but whatever you got to do, you better get some Christian accountability in your life. And then thirdly, let me tell you, discipline yourself. The Christian life... We live a life of victory through faith in Christ, but we also have to discipline ourselves. What did Paul say in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 9? I beat my body and I make it my slave so that after having preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Do you hear what Paul is saying? Paul, Paul is saying, I can disqualify myself. And so he says, I'm going to discipline myself today. Whatever you got to do, Jesus said, if your right eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. What does he say? What would it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Why in the world would you trade the temporal for the eternal? Why would you make that trade? And yet every day people are making that trade. Discipline yourselves. You're going to know one of two pains in your life. Listen to me this morning. You're going to know one of two pains in your life. You will either know the pain of discipline or you will know the pain of disappointment. And what we do is we, <laughs> we practice the pain of discipline, of giving up some things in our life. Some of you need to give up some junk in your life. But we practice the pain of discipline so that hopefully we don't have to experience the pain of disappointment. And church family, I'm just saying this. The reason why I harp on this and beat this dead horse this morning is because I'm sick and tired of seeing Satan pick off good men and women. I'm sick and tired of seeing men bawl their eyes out because they made one stupid decision in a moment when they operate out of the flesh that in the moment they probably thought it was no big deal. And later on, they're weeping because of all they've lost in their life. 
you better get serious because I can fall and you can fall too. And the other side of this is, isn't God gracious? Because if we're gut level honest, we've all had moments when we followed the flesh more than the spirit. But God is here today extending a hand of grace. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter how far you've fallen, right here, God is extending his arms of grace and says, come to me. There's grace and there's forgiveness today for any who would turn to Christ. Let's pray together. God, we thank you. God, we're so grateful for your grace. God, that you sent your son to to die on a cross for our sins. Father, we're so grateful for Jesus who was tempted in every way as we are, except he was without sin. He always said no to sin and yes to Jesus. Yes to the Father, perfectly obedient. And because he's God and because he's perfect and sinless, he's the only one qualified to die for our sins. And God, I pray for anybody here this morning that doesn't know you, never trusted in Christ. Up to this moment, maybe they've never had really any thought towards spiritual things, but maybe this morning you're beginning to move in their heart. God, I pray that they would run to you. God, I pray that they would cry out to you for salvation this morning. God, I pray that you'd save them. I pray that you'd rebirth them. I pray that you'd recreate them from the inside out and make them new. Maybe they're tired of being who they are. I pray that they would know this morning they can't change themselves. No matter how hard they try, no matter how much they educate themselves, no amount of medicine, no amount of science, no amount of education will ever change them. No matter grit or hard work will ever change them. They need divine intervention. God, I pray that they would turn to you, give their life to you, and they'd be reborn this morning by the Spirit of God. God, for those of us that do know you, God, I pray that we would commit ourselves to following you. God, every day we're facing decisions. Sometimes they seem so trivial, so mundane, but all of these decisions are really determining the trajectory of our lives. And God, I pray that you give us strength by your grace and by your spirit to say no to sin and yes to you, that we would operate on the basis of your word and the basis of your spirit rather than our flesh. Protect us from the enemy as we run to you as our refuge and strength. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.